instead of walking down the stairs, he dives headfirst, catches his weight mid-flight on the railing, swings his feet, doesn't touch a single stair. Dude, that is so cool, but we're not going to do that anymore. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of your host and my guest. Today's guest is Dr. Paul Davis. He's the founder of the First Responder Institute. Back in the day, Dr. Davis completed a PhD that was focused on the occupational fitness requirements and the qualifications of work physiology. And this translated to direct effects for how organizations, fire departments in particular, hired their firefighters and how they did annual physicals, etc. He consulted with every branch of the military over the years, law enforcement, and of course, many, many fire agencies. He's also the founder of a thing called the Firefighter Combat Challenge. And if you don't know about that, uh, that is something we're going to talk about today at length, and it's fantastic. So we discussed all these things, as well as his humble beginnings riding tailboard with day boots in the freezing cold. Please enjoy. Dr. Paul Davis, uh, I am grateful to, to have an opportunity to chat with you today, and, and I want to talk about... Um, the uh, the firefighter combat challenge and um, but and and where it came from and all that kind of stuff. But before we jump in, I want to hear a little bit about uh, who you are and how you came to be involved with this and where you came from. Yeah, and sure. So tell me a little bit about yourself. So we got to go back to the last century. Yeah. And, um, I was an undergraduate. Uh, I think I had just finished my first year of college. And uh, at the time, we were absolutely certain that the uh, the Ruskies were going to nuke us. And so there sprung up uh, these civil defense uh, rescue, heavy rescue teams. And, <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting telling people about what it was like growing up in the 50s and 70s. But we had drill, drills, nuclear drills in our schools where we were told to get underneath your desk. Right. <laughs> I've seen right. I've seen videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was there, and you know, I'm probably in some of those videos. But uh, anyway, in, in uh, 63, it would have been 64, uh, there was, uh, in my city, there was organized a heavy rescue team, and I joined that. Oh, what, what part and of the country was, did you grow up in? Oh, Maryland. I was in Maryland, just right outside Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. And one, parenthetically, uh, my father was born in, in Columbia Hospital. I was born in Columbia Hospital, and my son was born in Columbia Hospital. Oh, and nice. There's no more Columbia Hospital, but we were all born in the District of Columbia. Oh, okay. So, grew up in Maryland, and in, uh, in, in the in, at the time, I think the second largest city in the state of Maryland was uh, City of Tacoma Park, which is adjacent or take, contiguous with the District of Columbia. So, uh, it had a municipal fire department. And the instructor for the civil defense unit was a uh, fire captain. And uh, we had 20, 30 guys all from construction trades. Yeah. And I, I really just had this uh, great sense of uh, kind of belonging, whatever. But, you know, so there wasn't you, much to do because those were, were you a volunteer? I'm sorry to cut you off. Were you a volunteer or how did that yeah. work? Yeah, I'll, 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 get, I'll get through that. But this was, a, this was all volunteer. And, um, so, you know, we have drills monthly and we kept practicing, you know, all this stuff. And we knew basically how to, you know, deal with rebar and with cutting torches and winches and all that. All the classic, all the, the stuff classic heavy rescue stuff. Yeah. yeah. Heavy rescue stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just loved that stuff. But, um, you know, there was no real call for it. 
and and I didn't want to be wishing a, a nuclear holocaust on anybody. So in '66, uh, I joined the volunteer fire department, and uh, this this was like a home in the sense that you really had a purpose. And uh, so EMS was uh, basically in its infancy, yeah. and so. I start off as a Red Cross. That, by the way, to ride the ambulance, I think it was like eight hours. And um, then I took advance, and then I became a first aid instructor, and then CPR came along, and I was doing basic, and then I was a CPR instructor trainer. And actually, uh, that would sort of spell out over several years when I end up, when I was in graduate school, actually doing some work for the American Heart Association for the Montgomery County chapter. Anyway, with the fire department, EMS was just uh, basically moving into definitive uh, care. What year was what year was this around for you? Uh, seventy-two, something like that. Okay. So we were right after L.A. County in in Maryland, and just a little word about Maryland. Um, Maryland had the first shock trauma, and this Dr. Halley, who was a uh, military trauma surgeon hmm. during the Korean War, was an icon. And was the guy that defined the golden hour. Oh, wow. So uh, EMTs came on and as, a, as an entity, and I quickly became an EMT. So before that, and, you were just um, a first responder with your eight hours? It, well, that, the, the EMT at that time was uh, 60 hours. So um, that, was a, that was a pretty big step up. And then I became an EMT instructor. And essentially what happened is that um, – I was in the first uh, busload of uh, para- paramedic wannabes that went to Baltimore to sit in for the um, Maryland uh, state uh, boards to get our paramedics license. And now, man, that was all great because you could go out there and jumpstart people. Right. And uh, I, I, I thought that was the that in fact I was actually starting to think about going to medical school, and um, I got at the time. In Montgomery County, the I would say the mix was probably 50-50 volunteer versus career. And um, I had been certified by Pro Board as a firefighter three. And at the time, you could essentially migrate right over to a career position if you had all the criteria, which I did. Mm-hmm. And not only that and beyond, but as an EMT instructor, I was eligible for a rank of lieutenant. So um, – I took the position with the with the academy. Montgomery County had a public safety training academy, and they had um, fire and police, and I think corrections, and, and I think they even had the bus drivers over there in this all one purpose, pretty big <laughs> complex. And uh, so, at the time, all of our career people had to get certified as EMTs. So I had one of the biggest <laughs> classes, I think, in the history of the academy. I had sixty guys. Now I did have um, a lot of um, uh, teaching assistants to manage the class, but that was um, pretty much one of the land how much, speed how, records. How much resistance did you get from these these guys who have been doing this for, you know, they're already in their career and working? And Well, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, with career guys, there was a lot of pushback. You know, I ain't, I ain't no Band-Aid box guy or right. whatever. You know, I'm a, I'm a smoke-eating firefighter. And by the way... Um, when I came into the fire service, uh, self-contained breathing apparatus was becoming more of the thing. There were chemoxes and filter masks and all that kind of stuff. But 
I will say this about Montgomery County is that um, there was an environment of safety, meaning hmm. uh, you were <laughs> – this is crazy. Okay, so um, our apparatus could take seven guys. You had, you know, a front seat officer, two guys in the bucket, and then you can have three guys riding a tailboard. And I read, I rode a lot of calls in the middle of the freaking winter, freezing my rear end off <laughs> on that tailboard. Uh-huh. And I can tell you some some great stories about going airborne back there because you know the suspension on your on your wagons not that great, and you go over a bump and absolutely it was like a cartoon. Everything <laughs> would go up in the air, including all the hose, and then it would reassemble at the other end of the bump. <laughs> But um, I remember when uh, when the word came down, there'll be no more people riding on tailboards, and we're going Ooh. like, "What a bunch of wusses!" <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because the the changes that have happened in the fire service over the last forty fifty years have if there's there's continual change, and yes. um, you know we joke yeah. around about how much firemen you know hate change, they hate the yeah. way it is, and they hate change, so you can't it's win a for losing, word, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's but it's it's a constant, right? There's constant uh new things, new tools, new ways of doing business, etc. It's constantly evolving and you know, it's Well, okay, like the gear. Uh my first helmet was an aluminum helmet. Uh-huh. And uh we wore cotton duck, black cotton duck. There was scotch light on it, but we had pull-up boots and we had these absolutely useless um rubber gloves. Uh-huh. And that was your PPE. And and remember, at that time, we had steel bottles, so it was like, you know, two men and a boy wearing these, these air packs. <laughs> you know, these guys were like, uh, you know, 40-some pounds. And and you had to suck the air out of it, by the way. And, oh, uh, it wasn't anyway, positive pressure. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when the first positive pressure came along, it's like, whoa. And I, <laughs> and, and I can get into the whole physiology of that, but... Uh, you know, at the time, you know, you just you, you wear what they issue you right. and you behave accordingly. And we had a fire chief who was, um, you know, absolutely adamant about, you know, when you are out there, you will have air protection. You will have your gloves. You will have your boots pulled up. And back to the riding apparatus, which I was saying was, was a little inner, inner, <laughs> inane in the sense that everybody was buckled in. That piece wasn't supposed to move until you had your seatbelt on, but those guys on the back were hanging on by their thumbs. So, <laughs> <laughs> kind of a contradiction in terms. Right. So, uh, so anyway, uh, now it's about 75 or 76, and I, so, I had finished the master's, and I was uh, uh, interested in a doctoral program with the uh, University of Maryland. What was your, uh, what was your undergrad in? Uh, it was in physical education. Oh, okay. Yeah. What prompted and, uh, what prompted you go down that path? I one needed a job, um, and the other part of the for, for, okay, co- coincidentally going on is the Vietnam War, hmm. and um, come, I can remember in high school we we were going like, where in the hell is Vietnam? Right. And why is that important? And by the time we were in college this thing was really starting to pick up. And so it was like, it was, some guys were going off and joining, but I want, I was, once I start something, I want to finish it. And I didn't want to get drafted and not finish college. So you had to take 16 credit hours in order to uh, get your 2S deferment. And then after that, I thought, you know, for sure I'm going to get drafted and, you know, that's the way it'll go. 
But um, so anyway, in the meantime, you kind of keep your head down and you want to, you know, you want to get out of college. So um, I was off. What I, I worked my way through college so that I didn't have any student loans and I didn't owe anybody anything. And then I was offered a job, and I actually had, a, I did have an undergraduate job, uh, degree in, um, in um, history, but I also had a very strong interest in sports. I, I always played sports, every kind of sport. And so when they, they had a PE component, I, I just started to get real serious about physical education. And I'm very interested, particularly with the paramedic program and all cardiovascular physiology. So that turned out to be of a great advantage because I was offered a faculty position at the sports medicine center because I basically knew how to jumpstart people and uh, worked there with the medical staff and then probably did 10,000 treadmill tests on everybody <laughs> under the sun. So that was how, how um, I got my doctorate. And the attraction was interesting in that because I had this fire service experience, the Pre-FEMA organization, which was called the National Fire Prevention Control Administration, um, was ginning up to do grants. And so there was an interest in the greater Washington, D.C. area with regards to doing physical standards for firefighting because the knowledge of physical ability testing was not nil. It was like sub-nil. Hmm. So um, my segue over to the university included connections deep into the fire community where we got one of the first ever pre-FEMA grants, which in today's dollars was about $420,000 to do this study. So and this, I had this pretty good relationship. The, I'm sorry to cut you off. This is in, in conjunction with your PhD work? or is this, yes, is, it, yes, it was. Yeah, it was in basically my doctoral uh, dissertation was based on all this assemblage of funding and money and connections right. and all that. So sort was of your stuff. was your uh, master's degree in uh, physical fitness as well or in exercise yeah, it was. science? Yeah, 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 it was. From America I went to American University. So then um, what happened was um, the, the late Dave Gratz, who was a former president of, of the IACP or uh, uh, um, uh, Chiefs, rather um he was very well connected and came over to our human performance laboratory with a, a Dr. Leonard Marks. And the two of them were sort of asking uh, personnel accession questions about defensibility and all the federal employment law that was essentially coming into existence at that time. And they, he, he appreciated a, a sort of an empirical basis uh, for being able to defend standards that were based on science as opposed to people just making stuff up. Yeah, as opposed to And um, I mean, at the time, the NFPA 1001 thing was like a joke. I mean, it really was nothing but somebody's best recollection of what firefighting was kind of about. Right. So um, it was I, – I had been a, um, a, board, a fire board member for two years in Montgomery County. And at that time, that's how the county was run. We, we had 18 um, independent fire companies and two rescue squads. And now, essentially, this has all been blended into one unified um, county fire department. And, and coincidentally, my son, my son is now a career firefighter 
at the firehouse, well, the, the across the street, the old firehouse, where I actually had my first day training. It's like 3.9 <laughs> miles from where we live here. So anyway, um, I was uh, able to liaise with um, the Washington, D.C. Area Council of Government's Fire Officers Training Committee. And it was with this group that we came up with these five ubiquitous tasks that are generic to firefighting the world around. And they meet the criteria in terms of range of motion, energy systems, you know, the whole kinesiological uh, set of, you know, of biomechanics that, that are completely, you know, uh, th- uh, capable of explaining the, the entire variance of all the things that firefighters do. So I got the buy-in and the imprimatur from the, the COG group, and we had five political jurisdictions that agreed that they would want to participate in the study at the university. So the first thing was we had random selection. It's called stratified random selection, and it's based on uh, the demographics of the departments. We had D.C., and we had Arlington, Alexandria, Montgomery, Prince George's. So <clears throat> the, the, the 100 selected firefighters would be a microcosm of the metro area of Washington, D.C. Right. And both in terms of their percentage of representation as well as their ranks or, you know, age on the job. Mm. This, was, this was a lot of coordination, as you can imagine. Oh, yeah. But um, they all willingly came out to the university, and we put them, we put them through <clears throat> all of the tests um, that we <clears throat> typically would do. And it's, it's a complete physiological workout, which includes cardiovascular dynamics muscular strength, endurance, range of motion, flexibility, all these kinds of measures. And this was the laboratory-based assessment. Right. And then they would uh, report to what we affectionately call the grinder, which was MIFRI, Maryland Fire Rescue Institute, which is a part of the university system. And that drill tower would become the focus of our attention and energy. So these firefighters would come in, and we would capture physiological data, and they would perform all these tasks in their turnout gear, Right, and we provided all the SCBA units. The university had all that stuff. So, so when we got done, so what was the? Let me ask you real quick. What was the 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 hypothesis that you were driving towards? So you have you know, we're gathering this physiological data on all these yes. different firefighters, but what were, yes. what were you trying to demonstrate? Okay, very good, very very good question, Rain. The the deal is this: um, what you're looking for. This is called criterion related validity, which means that. I have a criterion, which are the real tasks, and I have a subset of predictors. I have these physiological measurements. Okay. And the question is, how much of the variance can I explain on the basis of the, of the predictors? So, for example, grip strength. Uh, grip strength is your interface with the working world. Mm-hmm. And, and as a firefighter, it, it's an essential function. I mean, you can't be a firefighter with one arm, and you can't be a firefighter you don't have grip strength. Right. And for rope rescue and, and throwing ladders, and I mean, your hands are your interface with the working world. So grip strength was a very powerful predictor. And then we have measures of aerobic capacity. So the ability uh, to take up and utilize oxygen uh, to fuel the engine is analogous to horsepower. And that's why this is a job that's typically done better by bigger guys. I mean, they have clearly uh, a mechanical advantage in, in, in that they've got a lot more lean mass. And so um, 
in essence, physical size uh, and lean body masses are very another another very important predictable. And then we found other ones that don't tell you anything, like flexibility. Right. Um, so no when, explained variance. When you talk about the the uh, grip strength being a predictor, what was the? It was a predictor of of overall capacity generally, or what was L- it? A lifting capacity. Your your, your grip okay. strength is directly related to how much weight you can pick okay. up. Okay, perfect. But we 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 weren't there testing to see how much you could pick up. But in essence, what we have is called modal regression analysis and canonical correlation, which is the statistical manipulation of the data to find the best fit. Okay. And you have these uh, coefficients that explain the percentage of the variance. So in essence, what we're saying is that in, in, in the realm of personal decisions, that we had about 65% of the predicting, prediction uh on the basis of these laboratory measures. And, and I'll circle back to this and, and tell you why it's okay. good and not so good. But um, anyway, we, we did the obligatory um, submission of a technical report, which was published by the GPO. And then the now National Fire Administration, they changed the name and all that. But um, it, we sort of were on the speaking tour and talking about, for the first time, that somebody had actually looked at the job in terms of the dynamics and, and helping explain uh, why there, there is a difference between performance. And b- by the way, with regards to the criterion tasks, what we ask these guys to do is two things. We, we want them to work safely and efficiently, but we want them to move as they would the scene of the fire. And so, you know, no running, but basically just you, you, we, we keep the elapsed time, but we're also looking at cardiovascular dynamics in terms of heart rate. And then later we would do with lactate, blood lactates, which really tell you a lot about uh, the efficiency of, of work performance. And that is lactate is your enemy. And if you're in over your head, you start producing lactate and you can't, you know, you can't turn it around fast enough. And then work comes to a screeching halt. Yeah. So, well, and the, meta- um, and the metabolic insult starts from the minute the call start, the minute the tones drop in the firehouse, oh, right? The, it does. Yeah. yeah. And so, it's an and so you, you always have, um, in essence, the, the human body is analogous in some ways to a car because the anaerobic compartment component of this is the battery. Hmm. Okay, so you can, you can turn your battery on, your battery puts energy into the engine and it, it excites the engine and the engine starts running. And then that battery has to get paid back, okay? So the same thing happens with lactate production. And um, we measure that in millimoles. And, and we went on to do a follow-up study. We're looking at, at lactate production, which, boy, I, I, that really is where it's all about. Hmm. And it's trainable. That's another important thing is that you can train your body essentially to buffer or turn over lactate. And that is what we would call re- resistance to fatigue. So we had two factors in our analysis, and we published uh, another paper in the uh, Journal of the American College of Sports Medicine, which essentially meets the criteria for a refereed journal, which has, um, uh, when you're talking about in litigation, the preponderance of the evidence goes, you know, towards the support or defense or whatever, or what you know, and, and I've done 72 lawsuits in this, you know, in, in, related to, the, you know, these kinds of questions and mm. lawsuits. So anyway, so... Um, Anyway, seven, so we finished that project in 76, um, and that was my also my doctoral dissertation. I did my defense, got my PhD. Yeah. And um, did, did, anybody in the that, fi- did anybody in the fire service look at that information and go, okay, here's how we can apply this? Or 
Oh yeah, I mean we had I had a long run of um, success in in the sense of fire departments that were adopting uh, what we were doing in in terms of employee selection. Hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm I don't even know how many I mean t- t- scores of fire departments that were adopting uh, the, the the criterion cash test, and I I kind of give you a little yeah. So what does that look, what does that look like? Well, here's what happened. So, in, so I finished in '76. Maryland does not allow you a tenured position if you are a graduate of the university. It's to prevent incest, you mm-hmm. know, or nepotism. You know, you got to get kicked <laughs> out of the nest. But I was on soft money. In other words, I had secured a grant, and I had actually um, secured a bunch of other grants, and to the point I had about uh, I don't know seven seven graduate students that were working for me on grants and contracts. And one was, which, which was with the uh, Department of Justice. We, we set up and ran one of the first uh, federal employee fitness programs uh, at Maine Justice downtown. So um, I'm bringing in money to the, to the university, and the university's taking 43% off the top. And um, I didn't, you know, I didn't mind that, but um, in essence, there really wasn't a lot of incentive because, in essence, I I was simply uh, a fund and budget number, and there was no permanent uh, employment, mm. um, and at that point in time, so that's when I decided I was going to uh, leave the university and, and start an occupational health business, and so from that point, I set out and uh, set up um, human performance testing facilities and, and running. We had contracts with. Fairfax and uh, Prince William County in Arlington, the city of Alexandria, Prince George's County, and Montgomery County. So I had contracts with everybody surrounding Washington, D.C. So we were doing periodic well-body physicals and fitness for duty, and then we added a contract with the Secret Service and just a, you know, just a ton of, um, of these uh, local and federal agencies in the public safety sector. So this was... Um, way before uh, NFPA even was involved in this sort of stuff. And we were seeing firefighters and other first responders on a periodic basis, usually based on age. So if you're 20, you know, once every five years and the 40 and over every year or every other year, you get a pretty damn good workup. And um, so from, from a health maintenance perspective, we were doing that. And um, that model, I, I, is exported. I, I set up some other programs around the country, but I came back to this whole concept of uh, ac- uh, accessions with um, hiring the right people, and and this is where I kind of go philosophical because when I look at a lot of the problems we have from performance perspective, to me it seems apparent that we're just not hiring the right people. Mm-hmm. And the codicil to that is when did it become the responsibility of the fire academy to rehabilitate you for the job you should have been ready to do on day one? Mm. So we have people showing up and, and, and I'm, uh, and this is, this is not just uh, allegorical. This is, tr- this is a true story, but we have people who are under the mistaken impression that they can be a firefighter. And, um, 
you know, sometimes there are untoward consequences of these people coming out and trying to take some kind of entrance test and becoming a casualty. Hmm. And so, um, it, you know, I don't know where the disconnect comes from, but you'd like to say, what were you thinking? You're, you know, 50 pounds overweight. Right. And we know that's contrary to, to being a firefighter from a whole bunch of different reasons. So um, the concept that I have been involved in, and this led to the production of a 40-hour training program, uh, which I st- first did, I delivered for the U.S. Navy uh, for their a certification of their command fitness coordinators. In other words, every command in the Navy, like with ship or some air-based, uh, 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 land-based, has a CO, and that's a commanding officer. And so it's incumbent upon the commanding officer to appoint the fitness coordinator, and this is the guy or gal that's responsible for testing sailors and officers and then making sure that twice a year they meet these fitness requirements. So we put on this class all over the world. And then I did a version of this for, in fact, in fact, the first class from the National Fire Academy was one that we had we had written from scratch for them, and I delivered that in a couple of locations. So uh, by the time we got around to uh, uh, pulling the plug on that program, we had put on over 100 of these uh, fitness coordinator training programs all over the country. And essentially what we were doing was trying to train the fitness coordinators with a modicum of subject matter expertise that they could do fitness assessments. Right. So here's what happened. Um, I don't, I think we were in Denver and I had a huge class. I had like 60 guys come out for that class. And, um, there were, you know, I can't even remember from where all these people came, but, um, I remember, we had incorporated into our lecture a discussion about the research at the University of Maryland. Hmm. And we talked about these, this criterion task test. Well, um, so what these firefighters would do would go back to their, their academy and they would set up uh, all the props, very much like what we were doing at the university, and guys would run through this thing. And then, I don't know how we became sort of like data central, but they would start calling and saying, <laughs> uh, Smitty did this in like three minutes and whatever. And so we, we, we knew, we knew what we had. I mean, I, I've got, you know, granular data from our first 100 and I can give you percentiles and what the average time is and all that sort of stuff on this thing. But we never had thought about turning this thing into a race. And knowing what I know about firefighters, man, you want to talk about a competitive group of people. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I'd like to tell you that I invented this, but I discovered that, holy cow, man, these guys are really all about this. And I said, you know, when's the last time guys called up and said, are you doing that push-up test? Can I come in on my day off? Mm-hmm. That never happened. But let me tell you, they were coming over to run the combat test. Now, the combat part of this thing, um, because I get uh, I get a lot of people that go like, "What what's this got to do with combat?" And I have to explain: the fire service is divided between combat or line guys and the remps, the, the rear echelon people who are staff and support. You know, because everybody that's in combat, you know, they're you know they're right. uh, they're uh, they're looking down on the rest of the group of people. That's right. <laughs> so. Proudly, I'm in combat. I'm in, so 
to a civilian, they go like, you know, you guys are in combat. I said, no, 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 we fight fire. Okay. We're not fighting, you know, bullets or whatever. We, we, we're firefighters. Oh, I see. I see. I get that. So that's where the combat part of this equation has come. And so, you know, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've coming into our 30th year now, some people say, well, do we need that or whatever? And I'm saying, you know, it is part of our legacy and our tradition. And I don't know if the general public gets it or whatnot, but it's at the point now where those five linked tasks are replicated the world around. And so um, here's the, here's the next step. Um, So I'm trying, I'm, I'm I'm of the opinion that we need a national fitness program. And, um, I thought, well, I mean, you know, you can have some kind of fitness test like the presidential council, president's council on physical fitness, which I did when I taught physical education, but, um, that didn't have the same kind of, you know, grip or attraction, but this thing that you do, we're in your bunkers, breathing air, you know, and doing things that, that you do, uh, had a lot of appeal. So 1991, uh, we had put together our first um, combat fitness challenge or whatever. I, I, I even still have the flyer around here somewhere. But anyway, we did this under the uh, aegis of the council of government. Back to Mifri, and uh, we promoted, and we had, about five, we had about five departments that came out. And there was a, I think, three or four-page spread in Fire Chief Magazine, color photos and all that, and I still have that. And so... Uh, <laughs> Rain, you'll get a kick out of this. So we got the guys in the bleachers, and I'm giving them, you know, it's like like a lecture on auto extrication. You know, I mean, I'm, this is the rules and all that, and everybody's right. sitting there like nodding their head, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> this is this is sort of a scathing indictment of my naivete. So, okay, so we, we put the order together. Now, mind you, um, we only have one course. And, um, so guys are going to go in the shoot one at a time. Right. And so we start with a whistle and they got handheld stopwatches and the first guy goes up inside stairway and he goes up and he pulls up the donut roll and he comes out and then the next guy would go in and we just had somebody in the shoot all the time. Right. And so every, every racer had a guy with a clipboard and, and a, and a stopwatch. Well, so they had, there was a, like lots of friends and family there. And what happened is the first guy come, gets up and everybody starts yelling and screaming. And they didn't stop for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, you know, like some pointy-headed scientist, I'm going like, we have, we, have to, we have to bottle this stuff or something. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, for those who are not familiar with the, the Firefighter Combat Challenge, why don't you tell me the, uh, the events that are linked up and the order they go. Yeah, okay. So – um, there are five connected tasks. Climbing under load is one of the hardest things you have to do. And there's been, you know, several physiological studies that look at the demands of this activity because you're not only carrying your own body weight, but your external load. Plus, you're not climbing the stairs for fun. You're going to be carrying a high-rise pack or whatever. So that's the first task. And you go to the top of the stairs and this, this hose load goes in the box, and then you take this 15-millimeter Kern Mantle rope, and attached to it is a donut roll. 
and you hoist this a hand over hand motion up and over the rail, and it goes in the box. What's that? So What's ropes that donut are, roll? you know, that's an essential part of what we do as firefighters. I What's mean, that roll weigh? Yeah. What's the the weight on that donut roll? Oh, it's 42 pounds, 19 kilos. Okay. And so then you come down the stairs, and the roll is, oh, oh, so (laughs) I've got to tell you this short story. I'm out in King County, Washington. I'm teaching a class, and uh, we go to the grinder, and we're going to go, everybody in class has got their bunkers on and whatever. And there's a guy in the class who used to be a Seahawk. And so instead of... Walking down the stairs, he dives headfirst, catches his weight mid-flight on the railing, swings his feet, doesn't touch a single stair, and comes out of the building. <laughs> and I'm going, dude, that is so cool, but we're not going to do that anymore, okay? <laughs> I said, I can see the first guy that misses and his head plows into the wall. Yeah, and now he's liability is through the roof. We ain't doing that. <laughs> So that, and I'm, te- you know, we, uh, Rain, we keep tweak, tweaking, tweaking, and, uh, and here we are 30 years, and I'm thinking I got everything covered, and there'll be something <laughs> that we didn't think about, you know, oh, like, yeah. holy cow. Firemen are so anyway, the, okay, the so, most creative. Uh, oh, They, they let open me tell up you. every loophole. <laughs> every, yeah, firefighters, I don't want to, don't take this wrong, but having been one, lazy some bitches. <laughs> figure it out the easiest way to do any job. That's right. You know, I don't, and, and listen, I'm all about that because it's, there's enough hard stuff. And if you got an easier way to do this, and, I, and listen, I'll you're, <laughs> you're a scientist, you understand efficiencies. Yes, I do. <laughs> and I can tell you, you know, as a lowly backstep private, we had a fire in a church that had fricking oaks, uh, oak siding. And they said, Davis, go up there and check for extension. And I took a pig head X over there. And I hauled off and hit that thing, and it just bounced off it like it was freaking rubber. And I was, I was, I was like, "Jeez, this was so freaking hard." <laughs> you know, it's like get the saw. Well, you know, saws are great, except when you have so much smoke they won't run. And so mm. you're right back to the ultimate weapon, which is the axe only has one moving part. You know, so. So anyway, that was the the rule change on the stairway descent. You come out, you come out of the out of the, the tower, or whatever, and you walk over to our Kaiser force machine, and you pick up uh, a, a nine pound uh, shot hammer, and you drive that 160 pound beam a distance of five feet, and that rides on a, a, a stainless steel tray, and has a thermoplastic interface, and so um, in essence. The biomechanics of that are very similar. When I um, when I was looking for a solution because I wanted to have a forceful entry task in this thing, mm. um, w- when we did this for real for, for for the first time, what I did I set up uh, laser gates, and we had guys pound a target it was on a railroad tie, and so as you would swing the head through the gate. The first laser would start the clock. The second laser would stop it, and you could compute how many joules that was on the speed because it's, it's nothing but force, you know, times distance uh, divided by time. So that way we could look at the variability in terms of the the force. But in essence, this, this, this Kaiser force machine has turned out to be the real great solution. And the biomechanics are closely enough related to chopping because I tried this thing with, um, Man, I tell you, firefighters and axes, it's dangerous. Um, I was afraid about guys chopping their toes off. Or sure. 
So that's a, that's a and imagine fear. all the wood chips you have to deal with and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So then when you finish that task, you have to control that, the, the, the sledge, no, just letting it fly. It's got to go on the mat. And then you take off and you run around these, uh, the slalom course. Now, the reason that 140 feet is there is because the first time we set this up, it was in Anne Arundel County, and that was how many feet it was between the burn building and the structure building. It was 140 feet. So we put the, we put the cones in there to kind of gate this thing down and compress the course, you know, so that we could keep it, you know, all in a, in a reasonable area. So then you go down and you, you pick up this inch and three quarter charge line and you advance that, um, 75 feet. And, um, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the more easy tasks, but I, I you also enjoy this little insight, uh, especially among our new guys. Boy, it's all about squirt water. And so they get through the saloon doors because um, we want to control when you open the nozzle up. And so there's a, a guillotine-style target, and it's got a little round fire thing on it. And you hit it, and it comes down. Some guys think that's like the living end. And they, <laughs> they sit there, and they just, like, put gallons of water on this thing. And, it's, dude, the fire's out. But um, the guys that are really good at this, they can knock it down with a liter of water. I mean, it's just, like, less than a second. Right there, bam, and they're gone. And then the last one we call the human tractor pull, which is the lift and drag backwards of this 175-pound rescue Randy. Right. And um, a real-life experience I had on a worker, We it was the middle of winter, and we had, I mean, this was a hell of a snowstorm. We had about 18 inches of snow. And we had a single-family unit. We had two casualties. And I was a second due ambulance. I, w I came over on the ambulance on that fire call. And the snow was coming down, and the guys had just pulled the victims out. And me and another guy, this guy's like 250 pounds, can't roll a litter over there. And I remember picking this guy up. He was just in his skivvies, and he's like, oh, the skin was coming off of my hands. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking backwards, I don't know, 75 feet or 50, I don't know. But it, it seemed like it was an eternity to carry this guy all the way out to the ambulance. And I thought, oh, my God, this was hard. <laughs> it was really, really hard. But um, anyway, that lift and drag scenario, which is done all the time. Yeah. And, I mean, how many calls you've been on? The guy, you know, he had the coat on the, on the commode and, and mm -hmm. or you got somebody in the front seat of a car. And, you, you know, it's you against this person. You're, you're going to be the guy that's got to maneuver him out of there. So that's why that sort of element of realism you know, it's, it's appropriate. It's kind of the last task of the five uh, ta five events. So the clock stops when the ceramic magnets that are in the heel of the dummy cross the uh, the threshold line, which is a bunch of reed switches. And then we have precision timing out to four decibels. Um, it's it's like a fifteen thousand dollar algae computer. Same one they use for the Olympics. Right. Uh, and that's how we that's how we time people. So that, that's that's the challenge right there. So. Yeah. So it's interesting to me. How how have you seen the – well, there's a couple different questions I have. One is how have you seen the uh, competitors evolve over the 30 years? Yeah, good question. Okay, so um, the big thing to start with was this two-minute barrier. And um, 
and it was a, it was a year or two. I mean, that was seeming like the four minute mile. You know, nobody can do under two minutes. <laughs> not and possible. It was hard. Right? You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not possible. And um, oh, one of the I, I digress for but a moment. In our Mifri event, the first one, um, they uh, I, I had all my buddies from Montgomery County coming over to be you know like course marshals and stuff. And um, this this very good friend of mine, this lieutenant named Jimmy Jarbo comes over to me and goes, Paul, Paul, that guy's going to lap the guy in front. And I'm going, oh, and we only had one dummy. And so I said, <laughs> what do you weigh? And he says, 175. <laughs> I said, Jimmy, you're the dummy. So he runs over and lays down, and this guy picks his ass up and drags Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, passes the guy in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's interesting. Sandlot baseball. Yeah, doing the (laughs) doing the event kind of single shoot one after the other. um, How would yeah? How would you seat them? Because you don't know the time, right? Like this, that is a a tricky piece of that. Well, what we did so okay. So um, once we got our tower, we have two lanes now. Right. So I'll tell you what. This has been the biggest difference. Okay, here's what's happened, and that was we would actually have four clocks. And we have we could have up to four guys on the course at the same time because the times were abysmally slow. And and another thing, the, the, <laughs> our first time on ESPN was like electrifying. And I mean, we we'd have three hundred guys come out, and and at least a third of them we'd have to drag off the course by their heels. I mean, they were throwing up at their face pieces and stuff like that, and. Um, and and, and, it, and some of the guys go like, oh, I guess I need to train. You right, think? right. And so um, it was a rude awakening uh, for a lot of people because they just had they had no no clue at all about their physical capabilities. Now one one of the other really important uh, phone calls that I got after our very first uh, Mifri event, um, within a day or so. I get a phone call from a firefighter in, in the city of Alexandria, and he goes, Doc, you're not going to believe this, but we had a worker. We pull up. Fire is blowing out the windows. We haul ass up the stairs. We bust down the door, and he said – we didn't even have time to pull a line. And we pulled the, we lift and pull these people out, and he says, we're dragging this person out of this thing. I'm thinking, this is just like the combat <laughs> challenge. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was going to ask you about the direct applicability to the job, right? Because – yeah. There's yeah. there's certain elements of it when I look at the the pattern of of the the flow of the the arrangement um, is very much like the work that we do. That being yeah. said, you, you there is a certain pacing that in real life you 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 try to manage your um, exertion a little bit. Yes, um, and this yep. is this is a no. You know, you're you're putting it all on the line uh, in the combat yep. challenge. Right, it's a little bit different emphasis, but. You know, I tell you, that that is a really, really good comment. I, I got two rejoinders to that. First off, um, Steve Schreck uh, is now a battalion chief. He was a captain in uh, Florence, Kentucky, and he had a May Day situation. He and his buddy had a collapse. Yeah. And um, they, you know, I got the whole thing. Actually, it's on our Vimeo account. Uh, and you, you got basically the message traffic. You got the view from the chief's buggy. And then you got closed caption with what's the what the message traffic is saying because it's hard sometimes you hear it on the radio. Sure. And uh, and it's mayday mayday, and then you hear it's like firefight or Captain uh, Shrek and 
and and and Steve is a is is a, a veteran uh, challenge competitor. This guy's been in this thing for for a very long time. And so I did an interview, I did a stand-up interview with Steve a year ago. Or so and um, he he recounted this was the longest four minutes in his life. And then later, the incident commander said, Steve, please don't take this wrong, but we were kind of glad it was you. And it was that you, we knew you had the fitness to self-rescue, and he did. And he felt that day, all this training paid off because he'd just been a casualty. Well, what I would say to that is that the being able to work at the highest end of your metabolic capacity is important to durability and survivability and overall capacity, right? So when the system is stressed, right, guess where you're at? You're freaking redlining when you're in a panic mode like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know what's interesting on that point is that uh, this is unsolicited, okay? Guys come up to me and and they, they shake my hand and thank me and say, you know, we were in this this worker. We we had this thing, that whatever. And he said these young kids are out there on the lawn throwing up and all this crap. And he <laughs> said, we know where our red line is. He said, I right. I I know because I've been there. I know what my reserve is. Yes. You know, I, I don't get in over. You know, under you know, way way my my head underwater here. I'm I'm basically in control. So it's that locus of control. Yes. So I did a I I did we we have a program called Good to Go. And it's got a classroom component. We talk about exercise physiology and risk factors and all that stuff. And then we go out on the grinder and we got A, B, and C shift. And so A shift is going to do, they're going to practice and get the muscle memory, uh, climb and hoist. And then B shift, these guys are all getting a, you know, a turn on the force machine. And then C shift is lift and drag. And they, they, they practice the proper procedure for picking up the dummy, dummy and then doing the hose drag. Okay, so 20 minutes. By the way, I had 40 firefighters each day on their days off, guys come into the academy mm-hmm. for this experience. So I had 80, 80 guys. So, um, so then after everybody's had that rotation, A shift is on deck, bunker up, got up, whatever. whatever. And then um, uh, B guys, you, you guys are going to reset the course, and then C, you're going to be in reserve. And then they just move around. So the, the, the admonition to everybody is, I don't want you out here racing. I want you to walk through this under control at, at just a normal, steady pace, okay? And so then what I would do is at the end, as they come out and they, they take their face piece off, I go, um, what do you think? And, I mean, unprompted, they like, if you can't do this, you shouldn't be here. Now, the other thing would be, uh, the other question was, is this analogous to anything that you could recall? Now, here, the big difference is this. Um, what they know in the instant case with the challenge is there's a finish line. Right. And so you can sort of titrate the dose yes. knowing, you know, there is an end to this. But you're in a worker. They're in the finish line until the fire's out. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, well, and then um, there's the overhaul, and then there's the calls, oh, yeah. the subsequent calls later to the shift. Like, there's a whole, yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. So, you know, if you're if you're looking for a reasonable check ride to give you the information, and and of course, you know, some guys come out there just to say, I, you know, I did that, okay, and then others guys they get the bug and they say, you know, I mean, I want to I want to get in the lion's den, or you know, I want to do this, I want to do that. So, you know, everybody's got their own motivation, but I tell you one thing, 
we're in uh, Kissimmee, Florida, and the fire chief of, I think it was Osceola County, whatever, he he's standing up there welcoming all these guys, and he's got his five bugles on and all that. And he's sort of self-depreciating, and he says, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I did this thing, whatever, blah, 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 but I'm nowhere like you guys. And I said, you know what, Steve, they don't care. They don't care what your time is. All they care is you did it. Yeah. That's the only badge of honor you really need <laughs> as a fire chief. You did yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. You came out here with the boys and you, you threw down. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, and to, to not have your ego all tied around this thing, but, um, and I, and let me say this also, you have never met a better bunch of unassuming guys. Who, it's like I get people who, um, from, not from the fire service. So they come and they're watching this thing. And the first thing they go like, oh, what, what the hell is this thing? And I say, it's the only federally funded university based occupational physiology study that became an international touring televised sport. And they go, <laughs> say that again. <laughs> well, then they go, well, they all cheer for each other. And I said, right. you know, I want to tell you something. I'm a product of the University of Maryland and I am embarrassed to say so because we play Duke. And win or lose, we have a riot, okay? Or they're <laughs> hurling epithets and, and obscenities. And it's like, this is an institution of higher learning? I mean, come on. So one of the hard spots for kind of a newbie, and think about what this takes to come out in front, frequently thousands of screaming people mm. for your first time mm. and run this thing. Yeah. And then you got these Adonis-like looking guys that are running this thing, you know, in 90 seconds. Boy, it's it, it's you know, it's pretty challenging yeah. and, and pretty threatening. No so, you, you know, the thing is, is that if, if you're an athlete, you, you need to have an ego. Okay. You're, you're not going to be much of an athlete without an ego, but there's nothing wrong with having an ego. There's nothing wrong with being on an ego trip. As long as you know, you're on it. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, so you mentioned 90 seconds. So tell me like when you went the very first time you guys rolled this out, what kind of times were people putting in? Oh, they're three and a half minutes or so. Yeah. Wow. And now, yeah, and now and what's the world record? Now, 214. Dang. <laughs> yeah. Dang. So, 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 uh, I, got, I have no So, words. I do a lot of these <laughs> at the end of the season, and the trophy goes to this team and whatever, and we'll come city council meeting and we'll have this, um, you know, celebration and recognition. So, anyway, I'm up there in front of the mayor and council, and so. Sometimes we have video, not a lot of times I got to explain, you know, what does this consist of? And I go through and I explain what these things are. And then I finish and say, in less time than it took for me to explain it, they're done. Right. And there's this collective, woo. <laughs> so, so that is that 214 time, the, uh, the solo participant time? Yeah, one guy. So yeah. what's the, uh, I know that, that you guys also do a team format. How, yeah, how, does, how does the team format work? Does each person run? Oh, let me tell you. This is the, we 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 characterize this as um, one fifth the work, five times the fun. <laughs> so on the one hand, you, if you're into this and with any degree of seriousness, I mean these guys train like Olympic athletes, right? And we've done surveys on how many sports specific hours, that, and they'll put 300 hours in this thing. Um, it's a major commitment. And in every sense of the word, these guys are Olympic or world-class athletes, right? And that's, there's something for everybody, okay? But that, that doesn't have necessarily have the appeal for most firefighters. So you don't have to quit your day job, in essence, to play in the relay because you only got to do one of the five things. I see. And you pass the baton to the next guy. 
so we divide these these baton passes and so this came about as a consequence of saying what's the human limits if you could go balls out um how how fast could this be in other yeah. words there's actually no decelerations well let's get right. everybody fresh yep. do one thing yeah yeah because you not so, you don't have any depreciation in your capacity by yeah with you know what that number is no, I have not. 102. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, you know, the relay is really where it's at. And uh, anybody <laughs> oh here God. listening, I want to tell you, you got to get in the relay, man. We, we're we going to push the hell out of this relay for the oh future because it is so much fun. Yeah. And and just to kind of give it in, give it in context. So what we're going to have, we're going to have for the launch, we're going to basically going to have three flights. We're going to have the Mustang division for new guys and get the broadband people, the, the main, the main, you know, the guys that are the, more of the veteran racers. And then we're going to have this elite flight. And it, so it's kind of like getting into the majors. If you can bust, I think it's like 80 seconds uh, to get up there in, in the rarefied stratosphere of the really, really fast guys. <laughs> but, um, that way, in essence, you're you're going to be competing against guys that are of a similar experience uh, level. Right. So I'm assuming you guys do like a, uh, uh, girls and guys classes, and then there's age brackets. Yeah, we have and... we have the pigeonholes go by uh, age and sex. Yeah. And um, we we have coed uh, tandems, by the way. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's a two a two person, uh, and you can, and you can decide whether you want to do the baton pass. It's either after or before the uh, force machine. I see. So there's a two person, yeah. and then there's the five person, and then no, and three those... to five. Oh, okay. Three to five. Yeah, okay. you can you can have as as few as three. That's by the way, the new moniker is going to be the engine company relay. <laughs> the truckies are not getting any love there. Well, you know, we let them in, but the, the knuckle draggers, right? <laughs> so is the is the relay is there a, is there a, a co-ed version and then a male and female version as well? Yeah, there is. Okay, so it breaks it up in every way possible. That's well, yeah, and uh, and and uh, some of these women, uh, you know, are really good, and oh, they I can bet. watch bet. out; they can beat some guys. Oh, <laughs> I'm certain yeah. of it. The, uh, yeah. Um, so how many of these events are you guys running per year now? We have, on average, uh, close to 20 events per season. Okay. And we're, we're actually, this season, we're doing our COVID protocol, meaning we're not on breathing air. And it's not that we can't sanitize a mask, but we, we just don't even want to get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay. So um, we've had, when we were in Albuquerque last week, um, we had a bunch of uh, uh, the guys that want to run it on air. Quite frankly, with the breathing apparatus today, uh, it really doesn't impose a, a physiological burden like it used to. Mm. Uh, and you ask these guys, they don't, they, they wouldn't care if it was on air or not air. They don't they, know. Just well, at that, at that mean, level speaks- of ec- at the, the level of performance, I think there's a certain. It, it's hardly restriction with positive pressure, and it's and if you've been yeah. training it, it's not even a thing anymore. Well, uh, on point, and this goes back to when I was at university, we had a meeting. It was called uh, Project Fires, and it was a, a technology transfer from NASA for life safety issues and whatever. So we're out talking 
to respiratory physiologists and stuff about what kind of technology does NASA have that we could apply. And I think it came in terms of even the uniforms with Nomex and Kevlar and whatever, and then SCBAs. And at the time, I, I, I was making a presentation. I said, these are the physiological characteristics of a big firefighter. These guys can turn over 250 liters of air a minute. And, they, and all the, the BA guys are going like, we can't do that. We can't deliver. And I said, that's why you have this feeling of impending suffocation because you're overdriving what the SCBA can deliver. And that, and I noticed about 15% of the guys that we had in our first study had to rip off their face piece because they couldn't get the respiratory uh, homeostasis. Yeah. So that's with positive pressure now and the bypass, whatever. Uh, I mean, I don't hear anybody complaining about not being able to get enough air. Right. Hmm. That's amazing. And I think it's important to point out to, to somebody who may not be initiated to this, this uh, event is that they are doing this in uh, full PPE, right? The normal yes. turnouts. And, and this is, yep. these are, the uh, I'm just going to call it street legal. <laughs> like these are NFPA well, I, oh, compliant. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad gear, you right? mentioned that because let me let me say this. Um, there's bunker gear and bunker gear. All the bunker gear has to have an NFPA compliant label. Right. It does not require you to have pockets, patches, a radio pocket. You know, it, it, and so what we what we see is the guys that really get into this thing get their so-called racing gear, but they, you can wear that to a fire. Right. It's the same stuff. Provides yeah. all the right protection. It just doesn't have yes. the uh, the pockets for the all, not the, all the accessories, all the accoutrements. Well, yeah, that go the, on. You know, these guys always want they, they want to carry their craftsman socket set and all the other crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had several experiences where I go to pull you know one of my uh, previous shift partners' gear off the truck, and I'm like, "Holy crap! What is in here? And weighs five thousand pounds." And You're uh, right. Yeah, the people like to burden their gear with some extra stuff from time to time. Yeah, uh, my my son is sort of like a gear Nazi like that, and and uh, you know he's got his own this light and this little thing, <laughs> you know all the little doodads, and and I'm, you know man, I like that stuff too. Yeah. Uh, comes in handy. The one that got me was this um, uh, this door chalk thing, which had magnet on it, whatever, which great. And, hmm. and and I thought, wow, what a neat thing. And then I thought, yeah, right, I'm going to put that in some hallway door like it's going to be there when I come back. Right. Yeah, that's why I like a wood chalk because yeah. I don't care yeah, if Yeah, I got it, lots of them. Yeah, I don't care if it gets taken or I lose it. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a and, – and is there any other special modifications folks do? I know I've seen some paint jobs on helmets and cool stuff like that. And Oh, my God. Gosh, yes. We have some of the absolute most gorgeous helmets. We have a hot helmet award at the end of the season. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and um, geez, these these are airbrushed, and I mean, some of them a lot of symbology and Mm. and whatnot. Yeah, Yeah, it's, uh, you want your chin strap on when you wear that puppy, I'll tell you that. Right, yeah, you don't want to get a ding in it, right? Yeah, they carry (laughs) this thing in like a velvet uh, envelope. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! Well, that's uh... you know it, it's it is such a lot of fun, and um, I, you know anybody that's new and wants to come and try it. I, I mean, I know how it is, sort of you know, the, like you feel like you're the odd guy out. But let me tell you, there isn't a single one of these guys that would not give you the straight skinny on how to do whatever you're doing better. I mean, they are just great coaches and saying, you know. 
I had at the time, I think our world champion, I was going to ask him to just do an instructional video. And he starts off where he's telling to the camera where your thumb goes. And I'm thinking, no, no, no. You can't absorb this. It's just like drinking out of the end of fire hose. It's too much information. Right. Well, but I guarantee you, that guy could walk through this course blindfolded because he knows, right. like, ballet how many steps with this turn i mean it, it's 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 all it's a big mental focus thing yeah well in your we talked about earlier how firemen like to find the loophole or the shortcut right the easiest yes. way to get something done and that directly yeah. applies to sport where there yes. is a refined way to move and you know yeah. it, interestingly as a firefighter i think that um, you know, as we age and grow a little older and longer in the tooth, right, and we find ways to be more efficient in our job so that we don't yeah. have to provide uh, as much oomph behind something necessarily because we've found a better way. Um, yeah. And that just comes with time and experience. And so it doesn't surprise me that these guys, guys and gals, have found the the slickest way, the absolute shortest way to make something happen um, and to yeah. get, garner the most effectiveness and efficiency out of the movement. That's, that's the other part I, I would pride ourselves on is with regard to officiating in the sense that unlike basketball or whatever, the mm. officials are taken out of the equation, meaning you really have to do something fairly egregious to get a penalty. And, and, I, and I'll give you an example. Um, okay, so we had a requirement that you couldn't crack the uh, bail until the nozzle penetrated the plane of the doorway. Okay, so we have a saloon. We have, well, we didn't have saloon doors. We just had a doorway. Hmm. Well, it, what happened before the, before we made that, it was some kind of a contest to see how far away you could knock the target down. Okay. <laughs> and so they got to be 20 feet from the door, and then he's hosing down everything. And so we said, oh, no, 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 you got to go through the door. Okay. So that meant now that the official has to essentially have this um, – perpendicular plane to look at the you know the the millimeter to make sure the guy didn't have show water you know prematurely okay right. so it's like oh man and then then arguments would come about ah i didn't do that you know whatever and so <laughs> it's like calling a guy out in first base so so then we put the saloon doors up there and then we took away the requirement that you don't you know you can open the nozzle whenever you want to but if you do it ain't going to help Right. So all it's going to do is hit the saloon doors. Right. So that solved that problem. And then uh, one of the other little nuances was with the relay on the handoff, uh, because in, in some cases it's very it's it's almost impossible for the referee to be in a position to see if this is a legal handoff or not. So at the far end of the course, there's a stripe, and so that that it becomes a delineator. So there's no you you can't reach the nozzle without first taking the handoff. So mm. that's all, it was self-correcting. Right. So I, 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 I would say proudly that when it comes to officiating this thing, it, it, you know, we don't hand up. The biggest penalty is, is early, um, is um, jump the gun. You know, what, wait, instead of waiting oh, for false, the siren. false starts or whatever. False start. Yeah, yeah. false start. And, and we, <laughs> we, we found you a pretty good one for that. Yeah. And then don't complain because just don't do it. You know? Right. Well, I, hey, it, it's that's one of those things when you're just on the line, you're ready to go, ready to go. You can't help yourself sometimes. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Well, look at look what, what they do. What in is the, the penalty now. for a false start? Oh, it's like two seconds. Ooh, that could be. <laughs> it's a killer, man. That's Don't do that. <laughs> so, how about in the Olympics now? That the the research shows 
the fastest reaction time is, and I, I forget the number right off. Okay. So if on that start with that pressure sensor, if you leave before so many seconds, that meant you false started. Yeah. So, and you know what? That's a DQ, buddy. So it's, it's pretty serious. Yeah. Because there's such in, in a sprint, man, that's a huge advantage by a full start. Now, in our situation, I'm going like, come on, what, you want to you war game this thing for a half a second or whatever? You know, we, we, it'd be different if we had an event that's 10 seconds, but this is, you know, you're going to be putting a timeout. I mean, even our fastest guy, the 114, you know, I mean, what a fraction of a second is, is not going to have much of a difference in that. Right. Yeah, well, I guess. <laughs> I guess, but when you're when you're a competitor, you're looking at these the the uh, oh, you know, God love them. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I appreciate the <laughs> full measure, but come on. Well, yeah. so let me ask you this: the um, moving forward here, if folks are curious about uh, looking into this, and where would they find more information? Okay, website firefighterchallenge.com. dot com. And everything you need to know, the rules, the procedures, the records, uh, what we got on the schedule uh, for the balance of this year, that's all there. And our finals are going to be in Irving, Texas, uh, the 20, we start on the uh, 19th, I think it is, uh, yeah, 19th of uh, October. And then we're going to have, uh, after that, we're going to have a couple of training sessions as we wind our way back to where we park the apparatus in, uh, at the Knoxville, uh, Tennessee Fire Academy. Excellent. So this will all be posted, uh, as soon as we firm up some of this stuff. So I like these clinics a lot, um, because there's no pressure. You know, you get to come out and, you know, you can run it multiple times if you want to. And, boy, let me tell you, these recruit classes, they love this relay thing, man. Oh, yeah. Can't get enough of it. Yeah. It's a blast. It really is a blast. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, we, we in our recruit training academy, we do a uh, a course that we call it, I forgot what we call it. Oh, my gosh. I just forgot. Um, mm. anyway, we do a course where it's a similar type of thing where you're competing head to head with one of your, uh, uh, classmates and, and what a blast it is to, um, to race through these skill sets. And, mm-hmm. uh, interestingly, you know, we, we see a lot of firefighters, um, around the nation and, and, uh, doing, I call them skills courses where they do job related sports specific work, right. Mm-hmm. In, in, in dressed yeah. out in turnouts, breathing air and. So I like to think that a lot of what you guys have done for the last 30 years in the combat challenge and, and the firefighter challenge has influenced that, right? Understanding that the, cause it used to be, you know, back and buys and, you know, pecs and tries or whatever the heck that, you know, the bodybuilding workout. Yeah. Um, I can't yeah. even, I can't even articulate it anymore because it's such a foreign concept. Well, there's, all, there's a, there's a bunch of those sort of things. Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm working on, Rain, is this is sort of my, my pet project at the moment, which is the development of a standard of care, meaning um, a, a workout that is consistent with the guidelines and, and recommendations of the American College of Sports Medicine. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I went through the fire academy vicariously with my son in terms of, like, what would you do today, what would you do today, what would you do today. Yeah. And, you know, I hate to say this, but in essence, you know, this uh, adversative military model probably belongs in the military. Uh, you own those people for four years, 260,000 turnovers a year. Right. We have 300,000 career firefighters in this country. And 
you know, the point isn't to just like beat these people up and, and throw them away. The, the idea is that they need to embrace ownership. You know, the, the, they need to read the owner's manual because this is the body, the only one they're going to get. And it's going to last them for 24 years or right. whatever. So what I'm doing right now is I'm writing up a off the shelf POI, like a, like almost like a cookbook with a, a set of work hardening activities that ultimately would essentially uh, uh, guarantee you at the end of your academy experience, if you come out there and you compete in a combat challenge, you're going to be very pleased with your time. You're, you don't have to worry about not finishing. Okay. You will have the locus of control and you will know uh, it, it will validate, if you will, where you are, where you need to be. And we've got proof of concept, not only with the Seattle fire, what we did, but with recruit school in Arlington, Texas, um, where this has been repeated. And essentially what we want to do is institutionalize this in an instructor's guide as, as well as the print. You know, this is the workout for today. And then this is, this, this is the video part that goes with that equation. So that's, that's the big project that I'm you know, trying to trying to get done. Well, when you when you wrap that up, um, we'll have you back on the, on the podcast, yeah. and we'll talk about it. And um, would love to to spread the word on that. It sounds like a, a great project. Be glad to do it. Well, Doctor Davis, <laughs> it's it's been a great pleasure to chat with you, and um, um, thank you so much for your time. Rain, it's been my pleasure. I uh, I, I greatly enjoyed this uh, this conversation. Yeah, likewise. Thanks so much. Yep, you bet. Hey, that's all we got for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Special thanks to Dr. Davis for taking time out of his schedule to sit down and wrap with me and, and share some of the uh, the background of the Firefighter Challenge. Uh, speaking of which, if you want more information about that, go to firefighterchallenge.com. There's a whole host of information there. It's a really cool event, and uh, there's videos and yeah, lots of information, schedule, etc. Check it out. If you're digging this podcast, go to whatever platform you enjoy the most, subscribe, and this podcast will drop uh, in the middle of the night when you least expect it. Thanks for tuning in. That's all I got for now. Get some. <laughs>